how indicative are the posts that we observed in the in, in this in this uh, plain view project of a culture in the police department all right are we going to go with the few bad apples example or the 300 bad apples example or are we going to say you know what we need to at least answer how pervasive of a problem is this and how indicative are this of, of the culture of the police department That was Hans Minos, executive director of the Philadelphia Police Advisory Commission. I'm Flood the Drummer, and this is Drumming for Justice. It's Tuesday, July 23rd, 2019. What's up, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. Last Friday, Philadelphia City Council President Daryl Clark released a statement on the firing of 13 cops who, on Facebook, advocated for violence or death against protected classes. Although 328 active Philadelphia police officers had, since 2010, posted offensive and racist material to Facebook, only 72 officers were benched in late June as internal affairs prioritized the most despicable social media content. Those 56 remaining officers will receive discipline consistent with the violation of the department's social media policy, and the investigation is ongoing. Mr. Clark applauded the actions taken by Philadelphia Police Commissioner Richard Ross, but he also offered the top cop and all of those involved in the investigation a reminder, quote, the Police Advisory Commission, which has been strengthened and funded by council's legislative action, needs to be a part of the ongoing conversation to ensure that police officers are accountable to the communities they serve. Well, that reminder delighted Mr. Hans Minos, the PAC's executive director, who on Monday I sat down with for an in-depth interview in Love Park. Here's that conversation. The PAC does need to be included in some of these investigations. Uh, I, I've said as much to folks in the administration. Uh, they more or less agreed that uh, we've, we've been underutilized thus far. Uh, and I want to be clear, you know, none of our involvement limits the police commissioner's autonomy, right? Mm. He still has final decision making. He's still the far, final arbiter. Of Does what? he know that, though? Does the police commissioner know that? I because sometimes when I read this stuff, he, it, it, it would imply that he thinks the more strength you guys get, the more access you get that he diminishes in the role. I, I'd be surprised if the police commissioner didn't understand the powers that he, that he has, especially as it relates to officer discipline. Mm-hmm. He is the only person in this city who can directly discipline an officer right now. Okay. All right? And he knows it. Uh, and Wait, let's stop there. Is that too much of an aggregation of power in one person? You know, it's, it's funny you say that, right? I mean, we, we talk about, uh, you know, not, not to get too abstract here, uh, executive orders, right? We don't like Bushes if you're a Democrat, but you do like Obamas and you don't like Trumps, right? <laughs> so it, it, I guess it kind of depends on who's, who's asking at the time. Okay. Um, I trust Commissioner Ross to okay. do the right thing. Uh, and I think that if you, if you are in my camp and you trust him, then you don't necessarily have the problem, uh, have a problem with it. But if you're like myself and you, are, you believe in long-term sustainable policy, then you plan if you plan uh, policy around worst case scenario, mm-hmm. and maybe that's how we should be planning policy. Uh, as someone who trusts Commissioner Ross, I, I, I honestly don't think about it that much. Okay. Uh, but now that you said it, maybe I need to start thinking about it. About uh, if one day a different person becomes mayor, mm-hmm. and therefore, the, and they appoint someone who I don't trust as police commissioner, would I still like this system? Mm. The answer to that is probably no. Mm. So maybe that's what we need. Yeah, uh, because until you framed it like that, I mean, I don't think anyone ever really considers 
any of the nuances of Philadelphia politics that much. But when you frame it in, in a city of 1.5 million with a department of 6,500 people, that there's only one person that can level out discipline, that, that's in, that's, that could be intense. It could be intense, but I don't think it's all that unusual. Okay. Um, you think the DHS commissioner uh, likely has the has the autonomy to fire their, their, their folks. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, can their underlings do it? And that's probably an interesting question, right? Mm-hmm. Can a deputy commissioner or a supervisor in DHS uh, fire somebody? My guess is yes, mm-hmm. um, but I don't really know the answer to that. But uh, by rule and design, the police commissioner is the only person who's going to do it. We're not the only city. Actually, right. most cities, that's how it works. Uh, and, you know... They, they do that, I believe, to protect officers and, mm-hmm. and, and have fairness uh, infused into the process. And once again, uh, my colleagues around the country, my oversight colleagues around the, around the country, uh, they do talk about how they're they're okay with that for cops that they believe, for sorry, top cops that they believe are folks that understand what they want and not so okay with it for people for, for top cops that they don't really think are are are, are in line with uh, progressive ideology. You know what I mean? well, well, speaking of around the country, you know. Do you do you think about or envy Chicago and the fact that they have a, a pretty robust? I mean, that's not to take away from their police corruption problems, but they have a robust independent police review process that can yeah. recommend that type of stuff, yeah, discipline so, and firing. So you know, I, I I don't look at it as envy. I think about it's a good way, right? Mm-hmm. I think we all us all cities, all of us big cities, can learn from each other. All right, I try and learn from my colleagues in, in other big cities. And I'm actually connected, fairly connected to all of them. Okay. Uh, we, we, we talk, we, we, we commiserate sometimes. And so um, I think what works in Chicago isn't necessarily going to work in Philadelphia. If the question is, could we have more robust oversight, I think certainly. Yeah. Right? I think our model isn't focused on the type of oversight that they have. Uh, in other words, we But should not, it be? It, uh, that, that's not up to me. I'm not a legislator, right? Okay. So if someone wants to legislate that and, <laughs> and give me a new, new, new charge, I'll take that on. Right now, my charge is significant enough, and I focus on that. That's policy, practice, and custom. Okay. If they say, hey, Hans, we want you to do policy, practice, custom, and uh, individual officer discipline, uh, I will I will tell them when I need to do that. And yeah. if we, we can agree on, on providing those resources, then I'm happy to play that role. Do you, do you think that what, what you mentioned the, the police, the, your contemporaries around the country, had you had a relationship with them prior to coming to Philly, or did you have to establish that relationship once you got here? And how'd you go about doing it? It's a great question. All right, so uh, yes, yes, and all right. So, so, so some folks, uh, the folks in, uh, in New York, for instance, I knew at least peripherally. Right, um, I, I I worked with a uh, organization that partnered with the police department while I was there, so I was connected to other folks that were connected to them. So I knew them peripherally. Other folks, as part of my own kind of onboarding. I, before I even started, reached out or reached out to me when, the, when, my, when my appointment was announced. Okay. And finally, uh, we, all put, we all are part of what's called the National Association of Oversight in Law Enforcement, or NACOL. So we, I've been to the NACOL conference, okay. uh, and I'm going to the, to the upcoming NACOL conference, and my, my colleague from Seattle organized uh, kind of a national leadership uh, conference calls and meetings. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's kind of all of those things brought me to those folks, whether it was... Uh, independent organization uh, from other cities or my own proactive outreach shows, folks. I know you said that what's going on in Chicago won't necessarily work here. Is there anything that you've seen being done nationally that you do want to replicate here? Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, focus on really building evidence-based, almost academic uh, overview of police, all right? And so what that does is, is effectively builds a strong case. If you look at what the New York 
Police Department's Inspector General. So not their CCRB, but their OIG. CCRB is? is the, oh, so, so they have two bodies, because they're in New York, right? So they have the Civilian Complaint Review Board, okay. which focuses on their individual uh, cases, right? And prosecutes them, actually, in the administration of the unit. All right, and I'll get to that in a second. But then there are, uh, they have an Inspector General. So we have an Inspector General here. They have a special Inspector General for the NYPD. Okay. And the, the work that comes out of that office is really policy work. I'm talking about deep investigations that take in months that come together with a, with a well, what they would call, and I would agree with, fairly bulletproof or concrete recommendations that more or less can't be uh, easily pushed away, mm-hmm. right? NYPD may disagree. I'm not sure about that, right? Um, so that's one. But also, the, the administrative prosecution, which is what they do in CCRB, is a big one, all right? So if you've been to our PBI, you've been, you've been to a PBI? PBI. Uh, the, the PBI, the Police Board of Inquiry here. I okay. I didn't know we had one. We should, talk, <laughs> we, we should talk about it. Yeah. So, so the PBI here is exactly that. It's the administrative um, pro, uh, hearing that occurs for an officer. Okay. All right. Now, the administrative hearing is prosecuted. And that's separate from your agency. That, that, yeah, that's internal. That's part okay. of the internal process, right? So the PBI charging unit comes up with charges, and then if you don't accept it, you can go to hearing. Right? You okay. go to the hearing, you got an FOP attorney who represents you at the hearing, and the person prosecuting you is, is the, the PPD, or the Philadelphia Police Department, department advocate. All right? As a department advocate, he is a lieutenant, not, a, not, a, not an attorney, and he is, and that's not a criticism, I'm just clarifying mm-hmm. who he is, um, is building the case or presenting the is case. Is this almost like an arbitration hearing? This is more akin to a administrative hearing. So. Uh, not the same rules of evidence as a uh, as a courtroom, but a three person panel. One person your rank, one person above your rank, and one person I think two, two above your rank, right? Okay. And so those they 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 are the judges, so to speak, a prosecutor and defense attorney. And the rules are administrative. The burden, I should say, is administrative in nature. So more likely than not, as opposed to without a reasonable doubt. And the, the person that's prosecuting is a member of the police department. Yes, the person that's prosecuting is a member of the police department and stands to reason a member of the FOP. Interesting. What's the relationship between that agency or that body and your office? I wouldn't call it a relationship. I mean, okay. we, we communicate openly, but there's not much for us to communicate about. Uh, ultimately, that's the kind of final stage of the review process. So when that is final, we can get the case if we want to audit it. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't really talk to us much before about it, and they can't even talk to us about the resolution after. Okay. We can get that from internal affairs. Let's get back to the, the case of the 13 officers. Sure. You released a statement afterwards that said that the standard uh, that was applied to the 13 officers, that they advocated for violence or death, was too high. What do you mean by that? Well... So if I'm correct, and, I, and I'm increasingly confident I am, but you know I don't know exactly the matrix that they used, but the threshold that, as I understand it, just to, just to clarify, was that there was some combination of violence and discriminatory, discriminatory comments about a protected class. And absent that cocktail, if you will, or that combination, you were not eligible to, to be dismissed. The mm-hmm. threshold wasn't there. So what that means is if I go on an anti-Muslim rant, but I don't ever advocate for violence or mention violence against Muslims, that I could have theoretically kept my job. Mm. So, to flip it another way, as I understand it, the that's the threshold, but the real burden is, are the officers' actions detrimental to departmental operations, or not detrimental, not the right word, to uh, um, disruptive mm-hmm. of departmental operations. All right? So, it seems to me, and again, I, I, I'll, get in, um, I'll get into my struggles about why I'm using the word seems to me so much, but what I understand it is, 
that that was the burden that they said was disruptive, right? I would say an anti-Muslim rant is disruptive, and therefore you have disruptive department operation that you should likely be dismissed. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think every officer on this Facebook post needs to be dismissed. Okay. I think there is other appropriate discipline. And I'd like to, I, I don't know any tangible examples about who met this threshold. Uh, so for all I know, I'm going to be satisfied. Okay. I just don't know if, if I'm correct and that's the threshold, it probably seems too high. If the threshold was what you had intended, mostly all of the, those cops would have been dismissed though, right? Um, or at least more than 13. I, I think that if, if my threshold was met, there'll be, uh, which is again, just uh, uh, comments about, a, not shouldn't say comments, discriminatory comments on a protected class, then um, probably more officers would have been dismissed. Mm-hmm. I don't know for a fact because I don't know which ones they dismissed, but I can tell you I could probably name more than 13. Mm-hmm. So as a, because I can probably name more than 13 that I think would meet that, I'm fairly confident that there's folks who are not being dismissed that I would have dismissed if I, if I was in charge, which, of course, as I acknowledge, is never, not the case. Did you spend any time going through the database, reading the posts? And if so, what would you think of it? You know, Chris, like you, I'm sure you read one through it. Uh, me and my staff, uh, we're just upset, yeah. you know? You can imagine this. So after you get over that, just that general upsetness, the, the question becomes, how can this be resolved? Mm-hmm. How can... So I want to be able to look people in the eye and say, you can trust our police officers, all right? You can trust our police department. You should not be afraid of our police department. How can somebody who doesn't know, who doesn't necessarily know who the officers are, not trust that they're all gone now, right? Mm. And moreover, if you do know who the officers are, and you're able to say, yeah, that guy, he works in my district. How do you know that he's not going to pull you over? And when he does, how can you not be fearful mm. of that officer, mm-hmm. especially if their comments relate to you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for those, for those who are leaders, captains, sergeants, lieutenants, how do you know that they're not commanding their officers in this way? Yeah. All right. And suggesting that. Uh, I'll push it further. In terms of, uh, we often talk about external legitimacy, right? Or how the citizens feel about police. How do you, if this is your employer, and your employer is saying, you know what, I, I condone this to a level. If you, if violence, is, violence and, and discrimination are a problem, otherwise you can still work here alongside this good cop um, if, if you don't do that, if you don't meet that threshold. How does, uh, how does a cop who works in that setting feel about that? And, so it's and, even demoralizing for the officers, not just the public, right? I can tell you, uh, without naming names, that there, there are plenty of officers who have said to me that they, this gave them real pause. Mm-hmm. Because they, but the sheer number and the, the vitriol in the comments uh, was a lot for them. And that, it, it, not that they can't come to work, but it really, made, it really made them reconsider it. And it angers them because of what, it, what people are going to say, how people are going to receive this. Even, even the commissioner has acknowledged this is going to affect community relations. Yeah. You know, it just it just can't. I'm happy he said that because he's right. <laughs> um, but it just, how could it, how could it not? You know yeah. what I mean? The mayor said that too. The mayor on election night said, you know, when I asked him about his agenda for second term, but the first thing he said was improving police community relations and that this wasn't helping. You, your your job as the head of the police advisory committee isn't necessarily to improve police community relations, but do you feel like this scandal makes your job harder as well? So, first, I want, to, I want to be clear. That is my job. Right? Okay. So, so the executive order, which guides my work, says that one of our primary missions is to improve the relationship between the police and the community. Mm-hmm. All right? We do that by focusing on the policy, practice, and the custom. So I believe this, this incident, much like the Starbucks incident of a year and a half ago now, and much like um, the ICE protests, and much like body-worn camera usage, 
uh, and all other incidents that uh, involve police action have a impact on police community relations. And when high, when these issues are high profile, we believe that we need to address them uh, to a clarify them or b recommend to the police to clarify them to the public or demystify them for the public or b recommend to the police department what we believe they could do either in partnership with us or other entities to improve that situation or take it seriously. Okay. If you were in that position to be a part of the investigation with Ballard Spar, which was the law firm, the law department contracted to help kind of do a constitutional review of that, where would the PAC have fit in with this investigation? You know what? I told, So I think that that's a great question. And it, and it allows me to be clear about the idea that what where I would have wanted to be um, is, a, is a conversation on the threshold, mm-hmm. right? Understanding how we're arriving where, and the police department could have their attorney, Ballard Spar, and the law department advise them on what's legally possible, and I could advise them on what would be the right move for the public. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, a good example of this is that the the, the investigation is classified as internal. All right. Why why would why would that be the case? And isn't transparency the best for the public? Mm-hmm. So even if they are allowed to do this, and I think that. There's an argument that they are allowed, argument that they're not allowed. But aren't most investigations internal? No. Any, no. any investigation initiated by a civilian is, is not internal. Mm. So my suggestion here is that the, the police department is effectively saying, as I understand it, and you can ask them directly, because the reporters, the civilian reporters and the, the civilian advocates who were behind this project didn't complain, but they notified mm. that they can call it internal. So in other words, if they had filled out a complaint form, and said, I'm complaining about these 320 officers. This, this could theoretically be a public investigation. But because they notified, it is an internal investigation. Mm. Transparency can't be that fledging, uh, can't, can't be that fleeting. Mm-hmm. All right? I think that there needs to be a higher bar for what is, what is internal, and it has to be a really, really good reason. Mm. And it can't just be, uh, we can't split hairs over how the issue came to us. Mm-hmm. If there's no tangible reason, no no policing benefit, no benefit to the city for it to be an internal investigation. It just shouldn't be. Mm. You've been about, you've been here in the city now about almost a year, or a little bit more than a year? Yeah, almost two years. Almost two years. Has it been those two years? Yeah, I thought it was two years. No, you're right, 2017. I'm wondering why I Do you feel like you're meeting or exceeding the expectation that you think the public have for you, or even the expectations you set for yourself? Yeah, so, you know, I'm de- it's definitely not my job to fill out my own report card, all right? Okay. Uh, so I, 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 want, I want to believe that I am. I will say the expectations I have for myself were measured. Mm-hmm. Uh, they recognized the state of the pack when I arrived, which was a small staff, uh, very little to no respect, um, and no one having ever worked on a new charge. Mm-hmm. So before I came on in, uh, in uh, was it 2016, there was a new executive order issue, right? So about seven months into that, I started. But no one had really, we had, we had an interim executive director. No one had really fleshed out and defined what policy, practice, and custom meant. So we spent a lot of time doing that. So in many ways, we started anew, all right? And so what I wanted to do was make sure that we were productive. I think we've done that. We have about eight reports out now. Okay. I wanted to make sure that we were building relationships, uh, both within the police department and with the public. I think we try every single day to do that. Uh, and we have better relationships with the police department. We've met with them about all of our reports, almost all of our reports, um, to talk about them and to really talk it through with them. 
and I can pick up my phone and call Commissioner Ross and most of his deputies and at least talk through a problem, okay. right? Which I, I don't know if it was really happening, not a judgment on my predecessor. I just don't know if it was happening, and that could be structural. I'm mm. not suggesting it was his fault in any way. Um, however, there are still people who will come up to me in the street and say, why aren't you investigating these cops, all right? Um, and to me, that's a problem because they are, they don't understand what we do, mm. all right? There's still folks who will tell me, do you have meetings? We have a public meeting we try and advertise every day, all right? Every, uh, and we try and push people there. How often are the public meetings? Yeah, once a month, okay. all right? Uh, and I should say 11 months a year. We have one uh, month off, that's August, mm. all right? So once a month except for August. Okay. Sometimes we don't have people showing up, mm. all right? Uh, all, other times it's really busy. So it, it really depends and uh, trying to figure, out, figure all that out. Um, so I maybe the best way to answer your question is that we still have to raise our profile. Okay. We still have to uh, identify more, more, more hard-hitting topics. All right? We still have to understand how we can build cases. And when I say cases, I mean policy and practice cases that are really more bulletproof. Um, and how we can tap into what citizens in Philadelphia really want us working on. Like, what are the issues that keep them up at night and affect the day-to-day operations, and most importantly, affect how they view the police uh, in a positive or negative way. A few clarifying questions. Does the PAC have the autonomy and the ability to initiate an investigation, or can it only investigate once you've been asked? So that's a great question. We have the autonomy to initiate an investigation, right in our executive order. It says, upon our own volition. We, we We may look into anything we'd like. So... Many of our investigations, we looked at something and said, mm, we're going to look into that. Uh, two examples of that, uh, j- just two, we have more, uh, our body-worn cameras, which was just an issue that people were talking a whole bunch about um, and was feasible, and uh, the canine shootings that we looked into, mm. all right? Uh, we, no one really asked us to do that. In fact, some people made fun, some people made fun of us for doing that, all right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, I Did think- you learn anything from that? Yeah, I mean, what I learned, well, what, I, what we learned and what we tried to teach are two different things, right? So what, what I learned was that investigations into dog shootings were not as rigorous, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that there wasn't uh, an effort to learn from these shootings, which when compared to uh, shootings of humans, which are admittedly much more serious, there was a deliberate effort to really review what were your other options? What, why did you choose to do this when you did this? And just to prove was in the pudding. The, this is in the report, but the interviews are significantly longer, all right? But my argument is and was and always will be that we're talking about the discharge of a firearm in a community. What it, what happens when officers who miss quite often miss a dog and hit a four-year-old, mm. all right? And are they understanding that? Um, what does it do for police community relations when they miss a dog and hit a four-year-old or when they hit a dog and it's not necessary and, and they killed someone's dog, which are many people... I'm not one of them, but still, for many people, that's someone they consider part of their family. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, what are the implications there? Uh, and the, I mean, I, I'll, I'll point you to the report. Uh, there's a lot of other implications that we try and outline as to why this is not a trivial matter. Okay. Mostly because the use of a deadly weapon in a community should always be avoided. There's also a debate in the public, even with some people who are in on the commission. Does the pack? Did the pack with the new executive order maintain its subpoena power? So. Did we maintain our subpoena power? I think so. All right. Have we tested it? Not yet. Okay. All right. Um, so I don't know if, if, if we have it the way we th- thought we had it. I will challenge folks to point me to the success of the subpoena power beforehand. Mm-hmm. I'm not yet aware of a case where that met, where that was so successfully used. Mm-hmm. So when people say we lost it, I often say, "What do you? What did we have to lose?" Because I'm not even aware of how how effective it was. Okay. Um, so do we still have it? Sure. Okay. All right. I think I think it's just as utilized as it was. Before I came on, okay. Just to wrap up, what is your idea, your utopia relationship between the PAC, 
City Hall and the police department? What would that look like if you had the opportunity to paint the perfect picture? So we're called the Police Advisory Commission, all right? So I would like to be used in a more advisory capacity whenever possible, all right? I think that it is okay for us to disagree. Mm. It's okay for, for me to tell the police department that I don't like what they've done, and they can tell me that I don't understand because I never wore a uniform. Mm-hmm. And we can, we, can, we can leave it at that. I like, I'd like there to be no skepticism about what our goals are, all right? There's a lot of conversation, and this is with the police department now, not necessarily City Hall, about what the real goal of the PAC is, right? What are they really trying to do? And what we're really trying to do is what we say we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. There's no conversation, there's no, no part of us that has a insidious kind of unsaid uh, goal of taking down cops, all right? We want to improve the relationship between the police and the community. We want to expose them to uh, our beliefs on what is and is not good policing and to talk through those ideas. Mm-hmm. So we want that open we want that open communication as often as possible. Mm-hmm. And so what I'd like is to build trust and make sure that when I say something that we talk about on the merits mm-hmm. and not to worry about whether or not I'm pandering to a certain group or if I'm trying to make people trying to trying to read my profile or trying to otherwise use a, a situation. Maybe I'd like it to be okay if he's responding is because he sees something that needs to be worked on, and he's really, he really wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing, there's no other motive uh, suggested. You talked a lot about transparency in this interview and trust. Should the police department, should Commissioner Ross identify the names of those officers who were either fired or the other 320 officers who were implicated in the scandal? Should the public know who these officers are? The public should know every aspect of this investigation. Mm-hmm. All right, they should know every single officer who's been disciplined and why. They should know every officer who wasn't disciplined and why, mm-hmm. all right? And they should be told the entire rationale, and they should be open, open for questions. We give police officers power to take away life and liberty on a daily basis. We need to believe that they're, that they're trustworthy mm-hmm. and legitimate entities. We have to do that by not being insular about that. Mm-hmm. This is a major issue. People are suggesting that race and racism have infused the police department. We have to be able to put them at ease to say, we take this seriously, this is how seriously we take it. And here it is. Are you happy that the police department has finally taken on the anti-racist training that you recommended in the Starbucks uh, report? Yeah, as so long as we're not conflating two different issues, all right? I don't believe that you can coach racists, stated racists, guys who say things that are overtly racist out of being racist with a nice training, mm. all right? so. I'm not suggesting that these guys, these 300 or so officers, or let's put it this way, any officer that expresses overt hate or racism is going to be, is be done by, done, it's going to be solved by a training. Mm. Those, person, those people need to go. Okay. All right. Uh, however, I do think that police officers, like the, like the guys who made the arrest at Starbucks, who are fine officers, but said things like, I don't see color, mm. or uh, th- these guys, people are always claiming racism. It's not a real thing. You know, I'm sorry, it's not a real thing. It, it's it's often something that they say, but not real, right? Um, can be helped to understand how real racism is, mm. and how even if they aren't racist, if they don't have hate in their heart, they can have implicit bias, and that the world that they exist in, the city that they exist in, has a racist history. And if they're able to understand that, mm-hmm. then they can understand why when they encounter two black men in a Starbucks. Their, their first way of looking at it is that, you know what, this must be about race, mm. right? Because this kind of, this is my life, I live in this skin, this is my experience, and often things are about race. Mm-hmm. So maybe this one isn't, but it probably is, first of all. But even if it isn't, I have a real reason to say this. I'm not manipulating the world by using the word racism. Mm-hmm.
which is how the cops that I've talked to, on, and a good number of them, have described racism. Mm. It's either hate or it's not, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's rarely a structural issue. And we're talking about two guys that were, in my opinion, not that I talked to them, were at the very least referencing a structural problem that they, they, that they were experiencing and were, and were having cops here an individual problem. Hans, is there anything that you want to say to the public or that anything that you want to address that I haven't had a chance to ask you yet? Yeah, you know, so Chris, I think one of the things in our press release that we talked about is that our goal is to, and our, what we've been hyper-focused on, is one central question. How indicative are the posts that we observed in, the, in, in this, in this uh, Plainview project of a culture in the police department? All right. Are we going to go with the few bad apples example or the 300 bad apples example? Or are we going to say, you know what, we need to at least answer how pervasive a problem is this and how indicative are this of, of the culture of the police department? Because you, you see right after Philly came out, you noticed that the border agents had their own secret Facebook group that came out where it was the same type of stuff. Right. Right. And so how how disconnected are they for our police departments uh, from their history mm-hmm. of they're racist history, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that they're all racist. I'm saying that they started as racist organizations, right? right. Um, and, and not professional organizations, if we're being honest. So how disconnected are they from that? And and to be hyper-focused on Philly, what are we doing about it if it's true? Mm. So the PAC really wants to, through a targeted effort, understand the role, uh, how serious of a problem this is. Is, this, is there a culture in the police department? And what tangible steps can be taken to remediate that problem? And I say remediate for a reason, because... No, the cops aren't the unsullied. If you know, if you watch Game of Thrones, you know what I mean. Uh-uh. Okay, so the un, the unsullied are a group of soldiers that were bred from birth to be soldiers. Okay, all right. Our police officers were not bred to be one police officers, so they are a product of our envi- of, of of our society. All right, they they have the same biases, same races, and same sensitivities. Socialized by the same media. Socialized, but exactly right. So all the same experiences. They're more like us than they're not. Right. Is what I'm trying to suggest. So if that's the case, we're never going to fully solve racism any more than we're going to fully solve racism that pervades the halls of these two buildings, right? But we can address it, we can talk about it, and we can, more more importantly, open it up and let let people see what's there, what's not there, and what we're doing about it. Hans, how can people contact you? You can can email us. We're packatphil.gov, all right? Uh, You can email us there. Um, Wait, hold on. That's our email address. And uh, we are uh, PHLPAC on both Facebook and Twitter. You can get, get us there anytime. And our, and our phone number, I believe you have, I think it's okay. 2, 215 683 0985. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you for your time, Thank sir. You. Thank you, Chris.